Standing in the Alpha Beta parking lot, watching the sunset. Welcome to Crossing Broadcast. I'm Russ Joy at Joy Abroad, joined as always by the wonderful Sixers beat writer for CrossingBroad.com, Kevin Kincaid, who you can find on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. What's up, Kev- <laughs> Kevin? A, a very uh, interesting setup today. Setting up in a <laughs> yeah. What do you got the, there? I'm, I'm up in a balcony press row up here uh, for the Flyers game, waiting for the uh, the orange and black to take the ice in um, three and a half hours. So. Uh, I got. I'm down here, nice and <laughs> nice and early. The lights aren't on. It's great. There you go. Sitting in a nice little place, dark void. Uh, you got the place all to yourself. Uh, before we get started, wanted to mention that uh, this episode of Crossing Broadcast is brought to you by Bryn Mawr Medical Specialists Association Cardiology at Lankenau, which we'll uh, tell you a little bit more about later. But a big thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Uh, Kevin, we got a lot to talk about. It's Wednesday. We've allowed a couple days to uh, to let the Eagles' loss digest. And, well, that uh, gives us the benefit of, uh, of of having a tempered look at it, right? A measured take. A measured take. Is it a take if you call it a take? Maybe. No, I guess if it's a measured take, it's not really a take at all, right? No. Is that like an oxymoron, like a like a jumbo shrimp? Jumbo shrimp. Or an icy uh, icy hot? Icy that's hot, another, I can understand. Uh, I, no, I, I get that one. The jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp is interesting. That's yeah. another oxymoron. Like a mini horse? <laughs> a mini <laughs> horse to me is a pony, <laughs> yeah. right? Am I crazy? Yeah, I guess. Uh, anyway. Well, I we've, think... Uh, we're, we're a few days later. Yeah, and a few days later gives us the, uh, you know, erases all of the knee-jerk, you know, emotional kind of, you know, fan fan part of the reaction to it, you know, where I think you just kind of slow down, take a look back at what happened. I, I thought the, the most interesting thing, obviously, was trying to, like, digest the half hour after the game uh, ended and to, just to sort of take a take a step back and see who was blaming the defense for it and who was blaming the offense for it, uh, which is kind of a fallacy in general because obviously, you know, both both had their shortcomings at various stages of the game. But that's a very Philadelphia thing that we like to do, isn't it? You know, it's one, one thing is always more to blame than the other or one thing is only to blame versus the other thing. But, yeah, again, I just go back to that kind of th- – that idea of if you had told me that they – we're going to go in there and allow just 20 points to the Saints in the Superdome. Any of you would take that any day of the week, you know? I know honest, I know that doesn't take all circumstance into account or all context into account because they still got killed in time of possession and whatnot. But the fact of the matter is that the Saints didn't allow – the Saints uh, hadn't scored less than 20 points in the Dome this year when they were trying. You know, it was week seven, yeah. week 17. Ooh. Get ready for this. Oh, what's going on in there? I'll mute myself. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> Something started playing in the background of the Wells Fargo Center. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, yeah. it was only week 17 when they played the Panthers, and the Panthers were uh, playing their starters, and the Saints were playing Teddy Bridgewater. That was the only other time that they scored 20 or fewer points in the Superdome. So, I mean, if you go back and you look at it that way, it's hard to, it's hard to feel upset with anything that the defense did. You know, they were getting pressure with the four-man rush in the first half. Uh, you know, you had the momentum-killing interception and then the, the fourth-down fake punt, fourth-down conversion for the touchdown. You know, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think you can fault the, fault the defense or Jim Schwartz for all too much, you know, especially considering the fact that he was down to, you know, you know Hawkins, you know, Josh Hawkins playing cornerback yeah. for him. I think if you had gone into that New Orleans game um, – being told that, that they were only going to put up 
20 points. I think any Eagles fan would have taken that. Um, I, you know, look, I, I think you're right that we always look for one thing to blame over another. It's the team mentality. It, it permeates society, right? It's not just sports, it's politics, it's everything else. You have mm-hmm. to have a side and you have to die on that hill. And I think the way that, that you can look at this is both sides of the ball are to blame in their own ways. Nobody really talks about special teams. It wasn't like the special teams bungled a lot of plays. They were, they were pretty much non-existent. I think that's just part of the way that the NFL has kind of regulated um, you know, special teams out of the game. Mm-hmm. That, that you don't see many game-changing plays in punt returns or you know, in, in um, you know, kickoff returns. No, especially and, with the new rules. I, I think you could actually make a legitimate case at some point that it might just be worth getting rid of punts all... <laughs> I guess you can't get rid of a punt, but but to me, like, you shouldn't even make things returnable. Just like let the ball fall where it, where it may at some point, you know, because like there there's no real intrigue to uh, to either half, right? Like there's no intrigue to a punt return anymore, to a kickoff return. Like you just know what's gonna happen. Like just let the offense start at the 25. Yeah. yeah you know, like yeah. who who honestly sits down, watches a kickoff, and says, "Man, I, I really am expecting great things to happen." I mean, like the days of Devin Hester are gone, right? So. To me, like there's there's no reason whatsoever to to even put guys out there. Like you want to talk about player safety, like yeah. why even have a guy bother running down the field? I mean, the, the days of a Brayman being on this team are gone, right? Like there, right. there really aren't that many special teams plays <laughs> that affect a game. I, I know that the Chicago game, notwithstanding, where you know Trayvon Hester gets gets a fingertip on the ball and that really does affect the outcome of the game. I mean, field goals I think are different, but everything else, I mean, you know, all right, great, you know, a, a guy has a return for 30 yards on a punt, like. That, that's kind of the anomaly now in the game, right? Let me, but, um, yeah. No, I think it's, I, I think you're right. I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, there was so much blame for the defense because I think it was just that one big series, that 18-play series, you know, that everybody looked at and kind of just said, well, you know, they couldn't get off the field. You know, it was a lot of, what was it, 11 minutes, 29 seconds, right? Um, so, I mean, when you take that into account, that's one thing, but you have to kind of go back and look over that drive and, and, you know, go through what happened again. You know, first of all, they had the they had a penalty right off the bat um, on the Eagles. Number one, that was on Rasul Douglas. That was a defensive holding. Uh, they ran it again. I think they had a pass to Ted Ginn. Uh, then Alvin Kamara ran it again. Then they had the the touchdown pass on like the eighth or ninth play, uh, 46, 45, 46 yards to Kamara, uh, brought back for holding. Okay, so they scored. They really scored only like four minutes into an 11-minute drive, right? Then they keep moving it forward. There's another penalty. There's another penalty. Uh, and the Eagles couldn't get off at third and 16, which was the big the, – the backbreaker there. Um, so, you know, but, but it wasn't – you know, I was reading some people saying, well, the Saints were in control then. The Eagles couldn't do anything. Uh, they were just kind of slowly marching the ball down the field. Well, they weren't slowly marching the ball down the field because they scored, you know, and the touchdown came back. The penalties kept moving them back, so they go forward, back, forward, back, forward, back, and that had as much to do with it, you know, with that being 11 minutes off the clock and 18 plays as much as anything. I mean, remember the Eagles started that half with the ball, 14-10 at halftime. They had the ball to to begin the second half, and they had a punt, you know, three plays, six yards, and they did nothing with it. So, you know, again, I, it's just it's just hard for me to say when you when you look at what they did, what the Eagles did with their offensive possessions in the second half, three plays and a punt, five plays and a punt five plays and a punt uh and then they got the ball back and through the interception i mean they didn't do anything in the second half so you know it's one two three four possessions for them the saints had one two three possessions in the second half so they had possessions they just didn't they just didn't do anything with it 
And then when you go no, back, I, and, no, yeah. like look, I, I think you're right. Like, I, but I, I think the whole game turned on the Nick Foles interception down the left sideline to Zach Ertz. Yeah, and, the first and, one, yeah. And and I don't, I don't necessarily blame Ertz for not getting a hand there. Like, I, I know that he thinks he's going to be able to sky up and, and pull down the reception, but you know, I, I was, I was bummed because you know, sitting there watching it with some friends, and I, and I said like, this is the moment that you need to kind of put your, your foot on the throat of the Saints, right? Like. You're up 14. You have you're challenging. You, you're you're right there, in contention to to put points on the board and, and really go up by three scores. And at that point, you start really you know making the Saints question themselves in a lot of ways. And yeah. To yeah. not come out of that possession with even three points, I thought was was a failure. Um, but I mean I mean now I didn't hear the first point that you made uh, by virtue of uh, they were playing. You had a bad day in the background. Um, <laughs> Which you know is fitting for the. They Eagles, play better guess, songs that, for the Flyers games than the Sixers game. That's for sure. This isn't a bad backdrop. If I had to pick one team or the other, with just like music playing in the background for the podcast, I would probably go with the Flyers. But um, no, the the first point was just about how you know people were saying you know the defense couldn't get off the field. Well, that's true, but that there was more to that drive than just the defense not being able to get off the field. You know, the Eagles would have got the ball back. You know, if that first touched, if the if the touchdown to Alvin Kamara pass had stood, they would have gotten the ball back at seven, what is seven thirty eight in yep. the third instead of getting it back at one forty. I think one forty was when they started their second dri- yeah. second drive. So there's, a little, there's I mean, a little bit of nuance in there, you know. They kind of did that a little bit, I would say. They, like they they did it to. Um, uh, to Chicago the week before they had the Eagles had a good drive a, a good long sustained drive and like there's something to be said for that and and you're right like you know touchdown gets called back and then it ends up eating up you know it, it almost works against the Eagles right like you would you would hope that seeing a touchdown get called back is going to benefit your team and going to get a lot of momentum and yeah, yeah, yeah. it kind of had the it kind of had the inverse effect but yeah like it, it felt like a lot of the armchair quarterback or armchair GMs the next day calling the sports talk radio were so upset that the Eagles allowed the, the Saints go to go marching down the field for you know the majority of the third quarter it's like well that that anger is a little bit misplaced yeah because yeah. it's it's not like they were absolute trash getting gashed and then 30 seconds of running off the clock until the Saints make the next play right like yeah it's yeah. it's just the nature of the beast and unfortunately you know it kind of reminded I know it reminded me of the Chip Kelly years where you're just kind of looking at this defense and you're saying well you know thank god they have some good depth on the D-line. Yeah. The linebacking crew, you know, for, for the most part was healthy going into that game. But, yeah, you, you mentioned before, Hawkins is, is taking the field. You're on your fourth, fifth I mean, what do you want string, do? Yeah. you know, defensive backs. And, and, you know, like at that point, what what more do you expect, you know? Like you, you can't expect these guys to work total miracles. You're out there. You're unable to substitute in some of these situations. So, yeah. you know. The third and 16 play that everybody was talking about, you know, the pass rush just went straight past Drew Brees and he just stepped right up into the pocket. You know, he just yeah, climbed he, the he pocket exactly right what through a, him. What a, yeah. what a veteran quarterback and, supposed and to so do. He felt the pressure. He found he found the space, and he and completed he the pass. Out. Yeah, uh, Nigel Bradham had a chance to make it to make a tackle on that play. You know, you and then on the very next third down, and this is what uh, Jeff Mosher pointed out um, on Twitter, and I dug it up uh, the video for the site. But on the very next third down, on the next drive, they blitzed. Uh, you know, they brought six, so they blitzed two guys, and Drew Brees had the ball out. I tried to time it on my phone. Like I did it like five times to try to get accurate. He had the ball out in like 1.81 seconds when they did blitz him on the next third down. So, you know, again, that's what people were saying. You, 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 the strength of your team is a defensive line, so if you can generate that pressure off the four man, you can protect guys like Cravon LeBlanc and Josh Hawkins and Rasul Douglas and uh, Avante Maddox, who's a rookie. 
you know, all of a sudden, you know, you blitz and you don't get there, or you blitz, and it is, it's a decent blitz, but it's 1.81 seconds that Drew Brees is getting rid of the ball, then you're just sort of hanging those guys out to dry. So it's kind of like a pick, a pick your poison kind of thing. But to the, the – You know what I thought was – No, go ahead. I, I, sorry. I, I thought one of the biggest disappointments, and I know that it might be a little bit unfair to say it, but I was a little bit underwhelmed at points with, with the defensive line's ability to get pressure on the quarterback. You don't see a lot of game-changing plays happening in those last five, six games where a guy breaks through in one-on-one situations and, and is able to get through the quarterback. You shouldn't have to send six to get a sack, especially with – a defensive line that was so vaunted coming into the season. So I, I think that part was a little bit of a letdown. And then you think about what this defensive line could look like next year. I mean, yeah, you get Barnett back, but, you know, does Chris Long come back? Uh, is Michael Bennett back? Is Brandon Graham back? And it feels like, based on the way that Brandon Graham interacted with the media after the game, mm-hmm. it, it would look like an effort, like a, a foregone conclusion that he's likely gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you kind of look at it, and it was such a strength of this team going into the season. But, you know, injuries ravaged at certain points. Like, Timmy Jernigan goes out, and he comes back in. And, uh, you know, I would say that I think you started to get the feeling of, of just how important Jernigan is yeah, for the yeah, defensive yeah. line going forward. Well, I mean, and Fletcher Cox they, they comes, back, comes back a, a in vanilla. his first, his first snap back in the game. He gets a penalty, you know? Yeah. So you, it just shows how important he was, too, and they had guys coming in and out. So I don't know. But it's but time of possession and the, this whole getting off the field thing, it's like a – you know, it's like uh, you know, it's like the circular. Um, what the fuck is the thing called? It's like the snake eating its own tail. You know, yeah. it's like a two-way street. It's that's it's called like a, yeah, like no, it's yeah. no, it's not what's going. <laughs> I've never seen that. I don't really know what that is. I don't think I'll, you want to see it. It's a no? uh, okay. it's a uh, quote-unquote horror movie with uh, some some imagery that's probably not appropriate for All right. well, <coughs> for uh, much of it. <laughs> then we'll cross that. But uh, you know, it's like the snake eating its own tail. It's like the the defense can't get off the field which which makes the offense cold and out of sync but then the offense can't do anything so the defense goes so it's not it's a two-way street with that it's not what's not one thing or the other um here let's do it let let me do an exercise with the offense to kind of illustrate about how 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 bad they were because hold on a second before you get to that yeah let's uh let's talk about our sponsor really quick and then uh and then we'll play our game sure so uh, our sponsor, as mentioned at the top of the program, is uh, Bryn Mawr Medical Specialist Association Cardiology at Lankanau. Doctors Jason Bradley and Jeffrey Wool are conveniently located at 6 Lancaster Avenue in Wynwood, with, within walking distance from Lankanau Hospital, where they are on staff. They've both been re- recognized as top docs in cardiovascular disease by Mainline Today magazine. They specialize in preventative cardiology, cardiovascular imaging, preoperative cardiac clearance, uh, sports cardiology and general cardiovascular care. Appointments are often available within 48 hours. They have a full on-site cardiovascular imaging suite where they perform cardiac and vascular ultrasound, stress testing, halter monitoring, and much more. The best part? Parking is free. If you have cardiac symptoms or concerns, or if you just want to make sure that your heart is healthy and stays that way, call them today at 484-380-2808. Again, that's 484-380-2808. So a big thank you again to bring more medical specialists association cardiology at Lankanau. So let me right, ask you, let's play our game. Let me ask you a question real quick. What, what so what are, is the DJ just going through his playlist right now? I don't know, man. Is there anybody on the ice? No, no. Okay. There's, so there's, there's just not, music playing in, intermittently over the loudspeaker. Well, they, they turn on the lights mm-hmm. about six minutes ago. And, uh, I've, I've been down here early enough, enough these times to know that, this is earlier than they typically test the audio. Yeah. Um, so he's just going but, through all his stuff, going making, like sure it's, making sure it's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is like the 16-year-old whose parents go away for the weekend, and he like just starts cranking out. Like He turns yeah. Halo all the way up, yeah. right? And 
Yeah, well, it, that's it's interesting. Uh, yeah, the the dichotomy and what's what's played at the uh, at the Sixers versus the Flyers. But when they put those new speakers in there, it just sounds so much louder. Uh, it does this year than it did last year, man. It's a better level of clarity too. Yeah, it it is a lot better. But like when you when you hear it for the first time, like the first time I went down to Wells Fargo Center when they had the new equipment, and I was like, "Whoa, holy shit, what is this?" You know. All right, anyway, yeah, let's well, play, let's... where I'm situated, I'm I'm practically in a. You're like up, line, up with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm I'm in line. With You're on the same so. wavelength as it. So here's the yeah. here's the thing. Like everybody was, you know, it's one th- it was one thing to talk about the defense giving up 48 points the first time they went down to New Orleans, but the really disappointing thing was Carson Wentz throwing three interceptions and having a bad game. You know, so you know everybody went into that game talking about the Saints not being a great defensive team, and these were where the. So this is what I'm gonna I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read where the Saints were ranked in each of these categories and what they were giving up and how the Eagles did on Sunday. Right, the Saints were 14th in total defense with three. 349 yards per game the Eagles put up 250 they were 29th in pass defense 269 yards per game the Eagles only threw for 201 they were 14th in scoring defense 22 points allowed per game the Eagles scored 14 they were 22nd in first downs allowed with 20.8 per game the Eagles had 15 first downs they were 24th in opponent third down conversion rate 41.3 percent the Eagles were 28.6 percent on third down 29th in yards per pass allowed 8.1. The Eagles were 6.5. 26th in completion percentage allowed 67%. Foles only completed 58% of his passes. And finally, they were 27th in limiting opponent passer rating, 100.3. And Foles was 61.4. So in all eight of those categories, they were not just below where the Saints season averages were. They were well below. They were well below, you know. Yeah. It was one thing you knew you weren't going to run against them because they did have a good run defense. Like those are just passing statistics I pulled from their passing numbers. But the fact that they only threw for two hundred one uh, passing yards, fifteen first downs, twenty eight point six percent on third down, two for seven on third down. You know, those were the killers, man. When you combine that with that thirty seven uh, thirty seven minutes to twenty two minutes, I think it was in the time of possession. Um, yeah. You know, the minus one turnover margin, and the Saints went. The Saints were fifty three percent on third down and two for two on fourth down. Yeah, they really it's didn't have a good look. Yeah, they did, and they didn't have a lot of penalties. Uh, four for thirty yards, but the Saints had like, and the Saints had like eleven for for a lot, like eighty something yards. But they could they couldn't do anything with it, man. So I, I just yeah. don't know how you look at. You can say what you want to say about Jim Schwartz and like he's not a blitz guy. He doesn't even blitz when he's got a full. He doesn't do a lot of blitzing when he's got a full fully healthy team either. But if you if you insist on making me pick one or the other to blame, then obviously it's it's the offense, you know. Yeah, I mean, 99 yards after the first two drives is, I, th- I think, a, a pretty big indictment on a lot of things, um, including, you know, everybody's golden child, Nick Foles, who, you know, I, I certainly supported and everybody did. Yeah. But, you know, you you look at it and you say, like, he kind of reverted back to, I think, what we saw against Atlanta. You know, it wasn't, it just wasn't the, the transcendent performance that we've grown accustomed to seeing him, you know, throw out with all, all the cards on the table, right? Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I, I think that part of it is is kind of disappointing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, if nothing else, you know, for the for the better part of you know whatever going forward, you kind of have to be encouraged by the fact that this now probably, hopefully, maybe spares puts us to rest thing. the uh, yeah. the Wentz and Foles debate once and for all. Yeah. I mean, I know that Howie did come out and say that you know, in theory, they would be interested in bringing Nick Foles back into the fold. They enjoy having him, which seems like lip service, which is good. That's fine. Talk him up. Get get your guy a deal. I mean, I think I think that ultimately should be the the play here for the Eagles. I mean, I, I think that you know you you. Does he, you, you think he goes to, down you, to? Do you think Nick follows John D. Filippo down to Jacksonville? No, I think he goes to uh, the Giants. 
New York Giants with I Pat Shermer. Think, think about the, the situation that you would walk into if you're Nick Foles. You've got a generational talent at running back. Mm-hmm. You've got a general generational talent at wide receiver. You have a solid tight end in Evan Ingram. Not a good fantasy tight end, but, you know, <laughs> somewhat dynamic, yeah. I guess, whenever he wants to stay healthy, which admittedly isn't very often. You need to rebuild that offensive line, but... That's not a bad situation. No, it and isn't. It's not like it's not like Nick goes there with animosity on his mind or revenge on his mind. Like, how dare these guys let me walk? Yeah, it no, would be yeah. interesting to me. And I've I've kind of had this this thought going through my head a few times. I mean, I don't know what the status of Alex Smith is coming off a broken leg. I wouldn't touch I wouldn't touch Washington with a ten foot pole mm. if I were Nick Foles. I saw Snyder's there. Yeah. Have Have we ever had a situation where a Philadelphia athlete has gone to a division rival and gotten a standing ovation? at Lincoln Financial Field or Veterans <laughs> Stadium because yeah. you would have to think that if Nick Foles signs with the Giants, he comes back, he gets a standing ovation. He yeah. probably gets a tribute video. Yeah. He gets the whole thing. And it's totally counter to what everybody has ingrained in them as a Philadelphia sports fan or a sports fan in general. But it would make for a pretty cool moment. Now, if uh, if Jerry Jones decided to go bonkers, trade Dak Prescott elsewhere, and then uh, try to sign Nick Foles to go back – to uh, play in his home state of Texas, <laughs> wouldn't that be an interesting thing? Now I don't know if he gets the standing ovation quite as much. It's an interesting thing, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if, if Nick's, Nick would be at $20 million if they exercised the, you know, it, current, currently if the cap hit would carry him over to next year, it would be $20 million, and then you would save $18 million, uh by not bringing him back because you'd have to, uh, I think it's like a 2.1 dead, dead number, a uh, uh, yep. dead cap number. So, you know, there's something like 10 to 14 million over the cap as it is right now. You have some easy decisions there. I know that you will agree with me on the uh, Jason Peters. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> move on from him. Um, I don't know if you can. Tim, Jer- Tim Jernigan's an interesting. Whoa, whoa. You don't let, know if you can? Let's not, let's not, no, let's not brush past that. I don't know if you can go into next season without Jason Peters. If you don't have Jason Peters, oh, then you, who, you, do you have, you, who, who do you have you to start at left tackle? Up, up Jason Peters' ass you, all year long? No, listen. Who do you have to start at left tackle who will conveniently get injured, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, midway through the third quarter? Well, they still like— I mean, the, God forbid we go into the season and actually, you know, invest a first-round pick in the offensive line. Yeah, but you have, you have options. Try to make a free you, agent splash. You have the option of— How gets, gets the whole offseason to prep himself to be the starting left tackle. Like, God forbid we do that. Let's let's bring back Jason Peters, get him— Remember he used to have, like, the, the little cart because he tore his Achilles twice, right? He can have that little cart. You can just, like, give him a double cart. He can push can't himself around. Maybe you motorize it for him. <laughs> you can't take that cap hit, though. You know, it's like if you if – you, yes, you could always explore moving Lane Johnson to the left, although I'd argue that right tackle is, is just as important as left tackle these days. You I know? agree. Um, you know, you have Big V. Is, you have Jordan you know Mailata as a long-term project over there. So I don't know. If, you, if you're picking 25th, um, you can s- still maybe get a tackle, you know, probably not a left tackle at that at that point, but you could probably get a decent I think just getting it, getting even an interior lineman wouldn't be bad, right? Because with, yeah. with Brandon Brooks um, missing the start of the season. Yeah, I, that know, sucks too. You, yeah. you can't, you cannot um, understate how important he was to this team. Well, now you got to, you, you can't you, overstate you know, Wiz, was, Wiz becomes a lot more important now. Wiz who was. got scapegoated in the first couple weeks yeah, of the season yeah. at left guard. Yeah. I mean, I, and then you're bringing bringing him in to fill in for for Brandon Brooks, and it's like okay, well we're bringing in a guy who started in the Super Bowl last year, so that's not yeah, not so exactly. bad. And they like they like Pryor too, um, as an interior lineman. You know, they kept him around. I don't think he got. Did he get any snaps this year, Matt Pryor? I don't think he did. I don't but, know. Um, but the kid out of TCU, they liked him too. Yeah, I don't know. Um, all the draft stuff's more you know further down the road, but they they have a lot of flexibility. Brandon Graham is interesting because he he suggested that he seemed like he would be okay to take a take a hometown discount. I don't know what a hometown discount is for him. Um, 
He made eight million last year, I want to say, or he counted eight million against the cap. I don't know if he'll take six. You know, even if Nick Foles would come back, it's such a unique situation. What is a hometown discount for him as well? You know, like five million. I don't. I don't know what other. Yeah, what maybe. other? What other team is paying a backup quarterback five million dollars? To answer your question, uh, Matt Pryor did not play. He didn't play a, a single snap, snap okay. in the regular right. season. He did play. Uh, in every preseason game. Yeah, yeah. Not that that matters. Well, they carry... Everybody plays in the preseason. Yeah, the, but the backup linemen were, were Wiz, Pryor, Maialata, and uh, Big V, you know? So yeah. that was the, that was who they were rolling with. Um, Timmy Jernigan, you can get out of his contract with no issues. Michael Bennett, they, you know, is essentially a free agent. Uh, Jordan Hicks. Any thoughts on him uh, confronting the cameraman? <laughs> I, I know that guy. Uh, Will's a really good dude. He's been doing that for forever. I know that those guys don't like to have a camera right in their face after you know a bad loss like that or after a season-ending loss or something like that. But that's just part, that's part that's of just the part job, of right? It. Yeah, you just walk yeah. on the field. You're allowed to go on as soon as the final whistle, and you just try to. Normally, what you like do is being disrespectful. Either it wasn't like he was pursuing him with a mic, saying, "How does it feel to have come to this team and failed to advance to the NFC to the yeah. NFC championship game?" Yeah, no, he game. wasn't. And it's just, yeah, he didn't. Just a he wasn't like pursuing there. him or anything. I mean, it seemed like he's kind of close to him, but that's what the shots are. Normally, when they win, like guys will be running off the field and they'll like say stuff to the cameraman like they'll say like yeah we fucking did it blah 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 go eagles you know like you get like a unique soundbite that you can get go eagles that you could get there that you wouldn't be able to get like at a at a press conference or a post-game scrum or something like that you know so there's always like yeah. unique shots that we use and the photographers would always say to us like yo kevin i got this i got um you know big v coming off the field he said this if you want to use it you know okay thanks mm-hmm. well that's something that we have that nobody else has but I didn't know. I, it wasn't really much of anything, but it was still. He went up to him and said something, which was, yeah, um, which is weird. But I, I, they got some cap flexibility for sure. But I, I don't. I don't want to see Darren Sproles back. I don't want to see Jason Peters back. I want to see him get, you know, just just cut ties with those guys and move forward. Say thanks. You know, you guys won a Super Bowl. You know, it sucks that you were injured, but we got to move on. We got to get a little younger in these positions. They need to draft draft a running back. Uh, I am going to disagree with you on one thing. I, and and I don't mean this facetiously like I, I genuinely mean this I think if there's a way for you to work out um I don't know if Sproles wants to retire I f- it feels like this is going to be his uh this was I guess his third retirement season yeah. or his second retirement season yeah. I think if you keep an uh, an open line of dialogue with him going into next season and and perhaps if you're looking like you're going to make a, a leap or a, a deep playoff push maybe you have that conversation with him that if he wants to go into retirement you know live your best life but whenever the uh, the deadline is for players to be on the active roster, you have that conversation with them about yeah. you know bringing them in yeah. for a playoff run. I mean, Sproles certainly can't stay healthy. He can't stay healthy for long enough for it to matter, and you can't rely on him consistently to be, you know, even a change yeah, of pace back no. in the league. But yeah. as a as a critical weapon going into a postseason run, you could certainly do worse. The funny thing is, you know, when you say draft a running back, the problem is if if you look at it, how many teams in the NFL are good at finding running backs in in mid to later rounds? Mm. And and not just like now I'm not saying like game breaking yeah. running backs but I'm saying competent running backs who would have easily been number one on the depth chart for this team going like week ten and and, and on. Like, well, it's not a very strong if, running back class either. That's a problem. No, yeah. and and so that's that's part of the problem too. Yeah. But like if you look at that position going into next year, it's like you know Jai is there if you decide you wanted to try to bring him back. But between the knee issues and the back issue, I don't know if if there if that's even a, a logical thing that you can do unless there's no market that develops for him and he wants to come back on a team friendly deal. That position scares me. Uh, it scared me uh, going into the season. I didn't think he had depth there anyway. Do you believe that Corey Clement's going to come back healthy and yeah, what be a ready disappointing to, year to take on him, that role? Man. Like I yeah. don't. Even I mean, even before 
you know, injury notwithstanding, you know, I thought he was going to take a huge step forward this year, you know. And I thought Wendell Smallwood was running the ball okay at the end of uh, the end of the season. And even though he's a West Virginia guy, like I was not out here saying, yay, rah, rah, Wendell Smallwood. I mean, I think everybody knew that he was a fourth fourth choice running back. You know, I don't think anybody was out here saying, like, this is definitely the guy. He was out there because Ajayi and Clement and Sproles were not. <laughs> We're not out there, you know? So it yeah. wasn't like they had some, like, obsession with him or, or Josh Adams or anything. That Adams didn't even didn't even play a snap in the playoffs. Yeah, that was wild. After, running, after he ran the ball okay in the first done, game. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't know if he would have done much in this game. Yeah. I don't think he would have been the thing that changed it. But I think knowing how how much you got away from the run, maybe having a guy who can come in and, and bang, you know, in the – in the interior yeah, I of guess. the line, like I maybe guess, yeah. maybe as a change of pace, like maybe he does find a little bit of success. I was impressed with Wendell Smallwood, at least early in the game. They had a couple, you uh, know, him and Sproles actually had a couple good blitz pickups on on some plays in that game. Um, yeah, I was really impressed by that. There just right. wasn't. I mean, the Saints are a good run defense. They really are um, top five run defense, actually. I think. But yeah, I mean, Wendell's just a guy. I mean, he was the Big Twelve rushing leader in twenty fifteen. But running the ball in the Big 12 is a lot different than most other leagues because you're running out of shotgun, you're running out of spreads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of teams are defending with seven and eight guys in the secondary, so a lot of times you're just running against three and four man fronts. You know, and it's not like the it's not like the Big 12 is renowned for its for its defense anyway. So, yeah. Um, what did you What did you take from uh, from the press conference with Howie and Doug? Not much. I mean, I, I think at this point, you follow sports for long enough, you realize that there's really not much that you're going to get. I mean, to try to to try to project what next year is going to look like at this point based on the comments by your GM or coach seems silly, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's it's a bit of a fallacy to expect anything legitimate to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Jeff McLean part of it I thought was, you know, noteworthy, obviously. Yeah. That, that was a post on the site. Um I think that kind of that kind of thing plays well with the fans. Um, I, I don't know how well that plays, knowing that you're coming off of a loss. I think typically, you know, if, if you're a GM and you kind of laugh about what a beat writer is wearing or whatever, um, it comes off as funnier. It comes off as lighthearted. Yeah. I don't know how this necessarily played among the media down there. I don't know how it played among the. Well, fan, did anybody you know, come? Out, did anybody step up to defend Jeff McLean? Not that I saw. You know, what, I'll do a poll tonight. Impress run. Yeah. See if anybody uh, comes to his defense. Well, but if anything, I was, I was was a uh, it was a bold look. It kind of reminded me of uh, what was it, Marty, uh, one of the bad guys <laughs> in Home Alone. Didn't Marty wear the uh, the fingerless gloves? Uh, yeah, prob- probably, yeah, yeah. Um, Not the Joe Pesci character. The no, other, the other guy, Marty. yeah. Harry? Oh no, sorry, Marv. Was it Harry and Marv? Here's how I would. Here's how. It's here's how I would enter the, the Jeff McLean conversation. His colleague Zach Berman at the Enquirer um, had a. Had a baby uh, like a week ago or two weeks ago or something like that. In yesterday's press conference, Tuesday's press conference, Doug Peterson made fun of Jeff McLean's clothing while congratulating Zach Berman on the birth of his kid. So think about one extreme to the other extreme with two guys who write for the same newspaper. So Jeff was sitting there trying to ask Howie a question about uh, the the medical situation, I guess Carson Wentz, um, the 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 turnover in the medical staff, you know, new doctors, I guess, on the staff this year, right? Three new people, and how he looks at him and starts like laughing as as McLean's asking the question, <laughs> and he says, 
uh, what did he say? He said, there's, I'm sorry, there's a lot There's a lot to go. There's a lot going on. And Peterson stepped in. And he said, there's a lot going on right here. Yeah. And Howie starts laughing. He says, uh, I'm sorry, one more time. So basically they just disrespected the guy and laughed right in his face. They did. While he was trying to ask a question, which is a which is And a there's been enough move. tension with the organization and with him in the press box before yes. that. Yeah, Jeff, you who's don't been get the feeling out. that it's like Jeff McClain and Howie Roseman are, you know, throwing back O'Doul's on a... Correct, correct. Insert your holiday here. Therefore, right. hence the title of the story, the Eagles don't really don't like Jeff McClain. He's been kicked out of the press box before, although that, that chick who kicked him out, she doesn't work there anymore. Uh, okay. And whatever her face, her name is. Um, Jeff got into the thing with Les Bowen however many years ago, right? Everybody knows about that. I'm going to or punched him in the face or they got in a fight or something like that. Um, so the, the, that's the, the one half of it is that I thought Howie and, and Doug were kind of dicks to him, you know? Like, that that's mm-hmm. not really called for. Like, honestly, somebody else in the media should have stepped in or, or at least said something on Twitter and said, you know what, I didn't, I didn't think it was cool that they laughed in the dude's face and made fun of the clothes that he was wearing when he was trying to ask a question. Now, on the flip mm-hmm. side of that, you have to say, why are they doing what they're doing? Because they don't like him. Because yep. Jeff... Um, you know, in press conferences, he only really asks, you know, hard questions, uh, ch- challenging questions, pointed questions. You know, he asks a lot about the medical stuff. Uh, he asks some follow-up questions. You know, Carson Wentz in his back. Why, you know, why did it take so long to figure out what was wrong with the back injury? Uh, why did the mm-hmm. scans not turn up anything right away or whatever? So, you know, number one, when, when that's all that you ask about, when you ask them pointed and challenging stuff, obviously they're going to not really – like you because you're cha- you're challenging yep. them and you're, you're going at stuff they don't want to talk about okay now now those are questions now there's multiple there's layers upon layers here okay there's the ins- there's an inception this is the inception uh, of the the of the press conference right you could say those questions that jeff asked are 100 percent warranted you know why did you turn over a bunch of people in the medical staff and why did you have so many injuries this year more specifically why were people coming back and then getting injured again or having all these setbacks Nothing that Jeff asks is out of is out of line, or is yeah. wrong, right? Um, yeah. So, but the other half of it is that, as a reporter, you know as well as I do, and he knows as well as we do, and everybody knows that he's never going to get an answer on that. You know, nobody. How he's yeah. never going to say, "Well, you know, it's a good question, Jeff. I'm going to tell you why because we thought these three guys were sucked at their jobs, and we." Uh, had a medical HIPAA scare here, and so we had to shut it down. Like, you know, he's, they're never going to say anything like that. Now, I know you got to ask the question and do your due diligence, but, you know, those stories are always going to be just reported reported on on your own. You get the, the canned quote from the team, and you go from there. But Jeff keeps asking yeah. and asking and asking and asking to the point where it turns into, like, this Jim Acosta kind of thing where, yeah. yes, he's challenging President Donald Trump, but it just kind of turns into a nothing. Like, there's no... There's no real outcome from it, you know. Like it does. Well, it who's going to come take the mic? Well, yeah, it doesn't. So it doesn't. Re- it doesn't result in any kind of like Jim new, Schwartz walks in. New inf- <laughs> it doesn't result in Crevion any kind LeBlanc. of new. Crevion LeBlanc walks in, tries to take the mic a couple times, grabs well, it. Well, and Jeff, go, Jeff grabs, held the microphone go. back from Ruben Frank there too because Jeff wanted to ask a follow up to him. That's a power move, power dick, kind of a power slash dick move. But you know the point. The Ruben point just wanted being, to ask if if thirteen fans held their breath for forty five seconds after eating a six inch Wawa hoagie with extra jalapenos. <laughs> how many how many touchdowns did the Eagles average since nineteen sixty five on a cold day 
uh, anywhere from 32 degrees yeah. down to 14 degrees, but don't you dare go to 13 because that skews the numbers. Go That's ahead. a very uh, Rube stat, is it not? So listen, the, to, the, to the Acosta point, like when he sits there and he challenges Trump and they just yell at each other or whatever, it makes for spectacle and it makes for 10,000 word think pieces and we can all talk about it on Facebook and argue with our grandmother about Jim, Jim Acosta and, and Donald Trump. But does that result in any new information being divulged does that move a, a story forward does you know are we any closer to uncovering russian collusion or what happened with carson wentz's back no we're, we're not you know so that's where i differ uh you know technique wise ph- philosophy wise with with people yeah. like jeff and mike sealski who i was talking to who we had a little bit of exchange um who i had an exchange with on twitter yesterday like you know you know what i'm saying russ it's like you and anthony could be down there tonight and you could ask chuck fletcher a million times like why of what's dale wee's doing up here if you know you put him through waivers but you didn't send him down yet you could ask him that same question four or four hundred times or i could go to the uh or i could go to the gm box asking about a uh, a very clearly fake tweet that was uh never sent out by tsn and 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 ask the team for confirmation that it, it either did or didn't happen i could do that but you know too. what i'm saying man it's like at what point does like good journalism and due diligence become you're just shoving a square peg in a round hole you know like you know that you're not going to get anything out of them but that's all that jeff asks and because jeff only asks hard questions challenging questions questions they don't want to answer he never gets anything good out of them ever whereas if you balance it out and you throw them like uh you know some softball bullshit every so often and you say you know what michael bennett had a great game the other day can you talk about what he's been doing for you on the defensive line they'll say oh yeah you know what let me answer that and then when you come back around the next time they say okay you know he's been fair to us he asks fair questions i, I can tell you for a fact that that players and coaches pay attention to that shit all the time and if you just if for you sure. just ask hard shit pointed shit you're, they're never going to have any respect for you so when well that's that's true because i'm thinking back to um there was a week or two ago there was somebody who was down in a in a media scrum that i did not recognize i don't think i've seen all year and he like walked up to uh to jake voracek and said like oh you know like what's uh What's the locker room been like since Dave Haxtell is gone? You guys like him? And, and Voracek just kind of looked kind of like, what? Excuse me? Like, yeah. Um, first of all, it was almost like a who are you? And well, second, like, yeah. why is that the question well, it's you're like asking? A Conor it's like, McGregor, it's like a Conor that. McGregor. Who the, who the fuck is that guy back yeah. there? But you know what I'm saying? So I just, I, come, I from, I just come from a different world. Like, I, I appreciate Mike coming to Jeff's defense. I thought it was ironic that the only two people to say anything positive about Jeff were me and Mike Sielski, who were arguing about the situation, you know? Now, yep. is that not telling? Like, where are his colleagues? Where's Les Bowen or Ruben Frank or Dave Zangar? Doesn't Berman work those? there? No. Yeah, Zach, um, uh, Damo, Paul Domowich, you know. Um, they have four, he has three people that work with the same company. Who's the, who's the guy from the Inquirer that's always, like, grandstanding about the importance of journalism? I forget that guy's name. Oh, Gar- well, Gary, their editor, is always talking about, you know, it's important that we ask these questions in our discipline. Did he stand this. up for him? I, I no, I don't, think, I don't think anybody said anything. But, like, I would, I would hope that if somebody said, like, if, um, some shit about you or... or um, any any one of our people like if 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 you were unfairly you know laughed at in a friggin' press conference like i would hope that somebody would 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 have your back you know but nobody nobody said listen nobody went on twitter nobody wrote anything that said listen i thought it was kind of dickish that howie roseman laughed in this guy's face you know like two two feet in front of him so i don't know i just in our our case i'm usually the hype chihuahua right like anybody says anything and i'm (laughs) I'm the first one nipping at somebody's but it's a different but you know what i'm saying like those are situations where it's just like you guys have your thing with 
with Broad Street Hockey or whatever the hell, you know, I don't, I kind of stay out of that whole thing, but it's different, it's, it's really different from the situation of like, you know, if, if Chuck Fletcher laughed at you and said like, you know, w- why are you wearing what you're wearing? Or there's a lot going on here. Like that's totally fucking inappropriate, you know? So, yeah, but you know what I mean? It's a deeper thing of like a lot of these newspaper guys have this idea that it's like sports journalism is sacred and we have to ask these hard questions and stuff like that. I don't hold the industry in as high a regard as they do. Obviously I think what we do, it does have some importance to it, but I'd rather just have fun and, you know, write some stories, try to be informative, help people learn something, maybe have a laugh here and there. And you have some people who look at the business and they treat it like it's like a, like you're a first responder or a police officer. You're just as important as like a firefighter or a graveyard shift triage nurse or something like that i'm like dude it's just sports writing okay let's not we're not trying to uncover whether vladimir putin and and donald trump are working together here i appreciate jeff for asking those hard questions but when that's when that's all that he ever asks he's never going to get he's not going to get the results yep i agree i don't know if there's anything else we really want to get to i mean the sixers was there anything that you uh i mean they they blew out minnesota last night yeah 40 some point 42 points Jimmy Butler had 19 points. We got to see uh, the 10-day contract. Corey Brewer <laughs> came out and take a charge late in that game. Jared Bayless I mean, got booed, and, and booed he, viciously. And he rang, rang the bell. Yeah. Oh, man, Bayless getting booed on the uh, tribute video yeah. was uh, w- was certainly interesting. Mark Zumoff uh, ringing the bell. There was, a lot, there was a lot of weird little storylines going on last night. Uh, Joe Allen B telling Wilson Chandler that he's fucking trash. In the yeah, and the, <laughs> in the, uh, in the and like the the duo uh, press he's conference. A, that was I asked him a dumb question because Chandler's never up there. Like it's rare that he's yeah. up there. Um, he doesn't really talk to the media. I don't think he's a big fan of the media. Um, he's okay. a nice guy, but like he doesn't really talk to the media. And so I just threw him a bullshit question. I was like, "How do you think you've been playing lately? And how how are you fitting into this lineup right now?" And then B reaches, like, leads over, oh, he goes, trash. trash. You're he's trash. like, you're fucking trash. But I couldn't hear the third thing that he said. And so I've listened to it like a hundred times. And I think he said, uh, I think he said, I can't believe he asked you a question. And that's when Chandler says, yeah, just chill out, man. And then he answered like a yeah. bunch of like, like just a couple of short little things. Nonsense. But yeah, they, they yeah. played a little more um, of Butler and Embiid together last night with, without Simmons and Redick on the floor. Uh, which was interesting. So there's a little bit of a lineup tweak there, but I, I don't know about you, but I'm just glad that the cupcake city part of the schedule is done. Like I'm really, yeah. really looking forward to OKC, San Antonio, Houston, uh, this road trip. They play the Nuggets, they play the Lakers, they play uh, the Warriors. So, I mean, we're finally going to figure out if this team has it or not. I'm sick of reading these bullshit, like the Sixers are falling deal, apart we? stories. Like, hold, just hold the fuck up, man. Let's just get through this part of the schedule. Let's play. Let's play against a lot of the uh, you know eleven playoff teams in however many days, and let's see if they have it or not. I don't want to. I don't want to read any more bullshit on Twitter about you should trade this guy, you should trade that guy, or this team's falling apart, or Brett Brown you know doesn't know what he's doing. Jimmy Butler said this. Let's just see what happens on the court. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the uh, it's part of the time. issue with the team, right? It, it feels like the the number one thing to do if you're a fan is say, well, we'll just wait until the waiver until uh, you know players start hitting waivers, and then you're gonna like pick up and you know yeah. this year's versions of of, of and Marco. But it's like yeah. you look at it, both of those guys, um, you know, they outplayed what you expected. They both got decent contracts, pretty much on the back of of what they did for this team down the stretch last yeah. year. You're not gonna likely get those kind of impact guys. Like one that that people thought might have made it to waivers eventually would have been Trevor Ariza, who ended up getting traded. Yes, Austin yeah, Rivers, yeah. maybe at some point you thought might have gotten. It, it it's funny, you know, like not making a trade or or not picking up Austin Rivers when you could have. I thought was was interesting because you could have certainly used a guy. Um, at guard now, I know that that Rivers has a, a pretty bad reputation uh, as a locker room guy 
in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys that I think just gets under, under your skin. Um, when you have to go and, and kind of pluck the corpse of uh, Corey Brewer out of the 10-day pile, I think that tells you a lot about where your team's at. I, I will be interested to see how they play. Um, the San Antonio matchup will be, will be interesting. Um, they've been... They play a fundamentally different game with um, uh, DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. If, if both of them are on the, the court, their three-point attempts are, are weighed down. Like They play like a team in the, in like the 50s. Mm-hmm. But when, uh, when those guys are off the court, the Spurs are a fundamentally different team. They play with, with better pace. They play um, you know, more of a, a modern style. So that's going to be something interesting to kind of keep an eye on. I think that actually could play to the benefit of the Sixers to get in a half-court kind of battles with them and and maybe this this Jimmy and Joel thing without Ben is kind of a precursor to how they're going to play that game the Houston game it it really is like they they are so ravaged by injuries at this point it's it's not even like contain James Harden because you can't and he's on a historic tear right now in terms of 30 30 or 40 plus point games in a row Um, so that game's going to be tough but if you're looking for like a depth a depth battle, it's not going to happen in that game. I think the Denver game will be interesting to see Nikola Jokic and uh, and Joel Embiid go head to head. Yeah, I'm really looking Jokic to that, is averaging yeah. like seven and a half, I think, assists per game this season. Well, it's season probably the best op- from the center position. Like, I think that that's a cool best matchup. Offense, best offensive big in the NBA versus the best defensive big. Would you say? No, I I, I still think Rudy Gobert is a better defensive uh, center than yeah, Joel is. Yeah. I think if you're looking at an all around game, I think Joel is better than. Than both of those guys, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, but if but if you're going to go each side of the ball, I think Jokic is probably your best offensive center right yeah, now. That's fair. Go Bear. Go Bear. In terms of like um, net rating and and defensive rating, last season, even having missed a, a pretty significant chunk of yeah. the season, he ended up making the number one defense in the league. So well, these dudes don't play and, each other. And being Utah, you know, these but, dudes don't don't play each other that often too. So I think I like that about yeah, so the it's matchup because cool they're sort of feeling each other out. It's not like Embiid, you know, banging with. Uh, you know Andre Drummond for like the the tenth time in in three years. You know, so um, yeah, it it'll be nice to not like you said. It's the cupcake part of the schedule is over. So we don't glad. have to because there's only it's we just, don't have to watch like Charlotte. How many times do you need to watch the Sixers play Charlotte? Yeah, but it's just a lose lose kind of thing. Like I like I wrote in that column the other day. You know, it's it's there's very there's very little there's few moments to kind of enjoy uh, what the Sixers are doing this year if you're a fan. You know, because if they beat a, yep. a, beat the crap out of a crappy team, they were supposed to. Okay, if they lose to a crappy team, it's a horrible loss. If they beat the crappy team but they like blow a second half lead then everybody's like annoyed um if they lose to a good team it's a loss and they're not there yet you know so it's like the only yeah. they're the only margins for them to actually do things that make people feel good because the expectations are raised are, are like if they go out and beat denver and houston and san antonio and, and whatever so that's why i'm looking forward to it because it's gonna just shut a lot of people the fuck up not, not that i'm like annoyed with <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not annoyed with people like i just I want to move this thing forward, you know, like let's move it forward. Let's play some good teams. Let's see what they have. Cause we don't learn anything when they beat the Timberwolves by 42, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't push us any closer to what, what we're trying to figure out, uh, which is, you know, can this team be a, go to the Eastern conference finals, you know? So, Hey, do you, uh, do you want to talk about a, a moment of grandstanding? Uh, sure. It's not related to the Sixers at all. This, uh, this just came out, uh, about 10 minutes ago. Uh, and it's Phillies related, sort of. Um, Dan Lozano of MVP Sports Group, the agent of Manny Machado, released uh, this. Uh, am I going to update if, the site the, or something here? Well, the, probably the the people who have been, uh, you know, waiting for the Machado or Harper news. Yeah. Everybody knows that Harper's agent Scott Boris, and, and this is probably going to be a, 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 a heck of a standoff for I don't know, probably another month. Um, but Dan Lozano, who was uh, 
um, Manny Machado's agent was uh, commenting on the fact that Bob Nightingale, Buster only, had reported, and it was only first, um, that the White Sox had offered um, a seven-year, $175 million deal, so a $25 million average, mm-hmm. um, which led, I think, pretty much everybody in this area to say, like, where's the stupid money? If he was really your, your top target, right, like, you, you should be splurging money right now, get the guy signed, like, get it done. Uh, Lozano said, quote, <clears throat> I have known Bob Nightingale and Buster only for many years and have always had a good professional relationship with both, but the recent reporting, like many other rumors in the past months, have been inaccurate and reckless when it comes to Manny Machado. I don't know if their sources are blatantly violating the collective bargaining agreement by intentionally misleading them uh, to try to affect negotiations through the public or just flat-out lying to them for other reasons, but the truth is that the reports of the details of the White Sox level of interest in Manny are completely wrong. I'm well aware that the entire baseball universe, fans, players, teams, and media members alike are starved for information about the free agent market for all players, including Manny, but I'm not going to continue to watch the press be manipulated into tampering with not just my client, but all these players' livelihoods as they have been doing this entire offseason. Right? The, The absence of new information to report is no excuse to fabricate news, in quotes, or regurgitate falsehoods without even attempting to confirm their validity, and it is a disservice to baseball fans everywhere when the media does just that. Moving forward, I will continue to respect the CBS um, prohibition on uh, negotiations through the media and hope that others would do the same. Is that grandstanding? It's just just confirming that the reports are are accurate because, you know, if they were inaccurate, you just let them go. But because whenever whenever somebody goes out of their way to try to disprove something or say that something's not true, normally that means it's – there's truth to it, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I've been saying this a bunch. I tweeted this out, but baseball to me seems like the the one and only sport where there is not a national guy who is super plugged yeah, in. Yeah, do we know why right? that is? No, because I mean, there's always league office leaks. I mean, the reason that like Woj and, and those kinds of dudes gets get stuff is because when when you know, like a trade or something is processed at the league office level for final approval, that automatically gets leaked to them. So those things are out of the control of of local teams, which yeah. is why guys like Robert Covington are finding out that they got traded before the team tells them, you know, because it goes through a yeah, layer at the, at the national level before it comes back down. So, but I don't, I don't know that I'm, I'm is, so, I'm, I'm so bored with the, with the baseball thing. Cause it just goes like NBA free agency. It's like if you go flying off the rails for 24 hours, and it's really fun, you know, and now this just get, gets dragged on, on and on and on and on, you know, it's like, feels like, yeah, it's well, and, and that's why it's, it's almost funny that they, they, they try to hype up around the winter meetings. It's like, well, big signings don't happen. Then. Yeah. And when you look at a, at a super agent like Scott Boris, like you saw what happened last year with Jake Arrieta and even JD Martinez. Like this, these guys were held out until very close to spring training, and then they ended up getting like decent deals. I think Martinez ended up signing for less than I think he could have been worth in theory and in, in, in the past. But I think if you're one of these super agents now, you have to be concerned with how the market really hasn't picked up. And I think if you're Major League Baseball, you have to be very concerned. Well, and the markets, by the market how, is how so much. Di- yeah, and it's so much different in a non-salary cap sport you know yeah but i mean like in in theory because there's no salary cap you you would it would stand to reason that more teams would be interested in going after well, you would think. a 26 yeah, year old superstar yeah, yeah. i mean in machado's case it's a premium position in harper's case he's one of the few guys that actually has star power in the game and it and we've seen what three got three teams yeah. four teams most listed for yeah. these guys as potential Chicago, suitors i mean philly i think that tells you a lot yeah, i mean baseball can say that they had the highest their highest revenue mm-hmm. in the past year they generated massive revenue was it three billion of revenue yeah. or something but if if two of the young stars in your sport aren't getting pursued by multiple teams, including big market teams, then like, what's the point? Yeah, you know, yeah, it, I'm it with just, you, man. It, it just seems weird. I'm with you, dude. Anyway, well, I guess I should let you. Uh, no, I else? guess I should let you get get to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I probably should. Um, interesting note. So Dale Weiss, <laughs> we interviewed Dale Weiss and uh, Mike McKenna for Snow the Goalie on Sunday after practice. We um, did the press row show uh, right before Monday's game, and we were talking about, you know, we said a couple things that were a little bit critical, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how this game goes. Well, the media, we got our, our lineup sheet, and we saw that we presumably last minute was scratched. Yori Laterra took his place. Yes, the same Yori Laterra who's been charged in Finland as part of a uh, uh, the largest or second largest uh, cocaine distribution channel in the Tampere region of Finland. He uh, ended up starting on the fourth line <laughs> on Monday night. And we're like, man, I you know I wonder if he tweaked something. If if Weiss tweaked something before the game, you know what could it be? And then you find out. Uh, we put out the audio, we put out the episode of Snow the Goalie Monday night, and by Tuesday around noon, he was put on waivers. And so then people were, you know, going total conspiracy theory, you know, <laughs> where was the organization upset with what he said on the show? And I, I don't think yeah. it was that. I, I don't think there were that many things that were that critical. Um, but I did point out the Snow the Goalie curse is very real. Uh, just to give people an idea, we have interviewed or agreed to interview uh, seven people on the Snow the Goalie podcast this year. On June 12th, we interviewed Ron Hextall, who is now the former GM. Remember, he was fired. On August 29th, uh, Anthony sat down with Alex Lyon, who was sent back down to the Phantoms at, uh, earlier this season. On September 26th, we released the audio uh, of our interview with Jordan Wheel, who has since been traded to Arizona. Um, back in December, I think it was actually late November, we had reached a tentative agreement with uh, for- now former Flyers coach Dave Hextall to come on the show, and then he was fired. Scott Hartnell, well, he's retired. That doesn't really count. Uh, and then Dale Weiss on Sunday, and then he was put on waivers. Now, he, he did clear waivers, and he's technically still with the team, but he did get waived, so the streak is on. So I tweeted at Mike McKenna that I'm really sorry. <laughs> so unless he can reverse the curse, Mike McKenna would appear to be the next guy who's going to either be waived or traded. Uh, that's no insight from the organization. It's just the snow the goalie curse. We'll see if it, uh, if it continues or not. I'm now worried ever so slightly that uh, we might have a hard time getting somebody on the show now. <laughs> Unless it's somebody who really wants to leave town, in which case we'll gladly my, take that. Uh, my final point for uh, this episode would be that uh, I am glad to see that UFC is coming back to the building that you are currently in right now. Uh, UFC Fight Night in Philadelphia, March 30th, I think, uh, is the date. Uh, it's going to be the first UFC event in Philly since 2011. Uh, yeah, really? which was uh, Tito Ortiz versus Rashad Evans uh, at the Wells Fargo Center. And in 2009 was the only other uh, event that's actually been held in Philly. They've always had a ton in Atlantic City, you know, because Atlantic City, Jersey has like a, you know, it's had different rules and stuff like that. Like Atlantic City was always a big fight town. Um, but 2009 UFC was one third. No, it wasn't one thirty something. But it was, I think it was like Forrest Griffin fought somebody at that one. Uh, but the, the two fights that were announced with their two women's fights uh, one of them was uh, Karolina Kovalevich versus uh, Michelle Waterson which should be a good fight and uh, the rumor for another uh, fight on that car is Justin Gaethje uh, versus Edson Barboza who trains in this area actually Edson trains with uh, with Frankie Edgar out in uh, Tom's River I think um, so that'd be a good fight if they could get uh, something on there but uh, we shall see what happens with that it's, ni- it's nice to for the promotion to come back to uh, to come back to Philly Paul Felder who's from Philadelphia I think he went to Ridley uh, he's not able to fight on that card because he's fighting in Phoenix, I think, the month before. And uh, Eddie Alvarez is no longer with the UFC. So go figure the two Philly guys that they have, uh, who people have actually heard of, would, would not be uh, fighting in Philadelphia. Uh, before we go, 
because I know that you would care about this. Uh, did you see that Gonzalo Higuain is likely going to be going to uh, Chelsea? Well, how about that? Along with uh, Christian Pulisic, who is uh, the, the Hershey season, right? The Hershey, the Hershey kid. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't write it. That's I didn't right. write that. I didn't write anything Pulisic for the website because it was like an Eagles playoff week or whatever. But it is pretty cool to think about the fact that uh, uh, I don't know. Is Hershey? Do you consider Hershey local? No. I don't either, well, but in the grand scheme, if we're not, talking about from, like a kid in Europe, like you would say, well, Pennsylvania kid is. Yeah, you would yeah. say Pennsylvania kid. You wouldn't call him. It's a cool kid. in that regard, but it's not like you wouldn't claim him as one of our own, you know. Uh, no, but I'm from like I went no, to school but in I, I think, County, I think, so I'm not. I'm not from Philly, you know. Well, I went to school in Schuylkill <laughs> County, so like Hershey, Hershey is very different to me. We're than just I think as it is Philly as uh, Christian like Pulisic is, you know. I know when when I talk to people about like, oh yeah, we went out to 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 Chocolate World. It was really cool, and then like people who who like live where I live in like. Chester, Montgomery yeah. County area. They're like, oh man, you went all the way out there? I'm like, yeah, I did that as a kid. They're like, that's a really far drive. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like, that, it's just tradition, you know? Whatever. All right, man. We'll right. tell, uh, so we, Vord, we, we hit on pretty much every team. Check us out. Hello. And, uh, I, you know what? I'll try. I said hello down there. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so, uh, a reminder February 2nd, there's going to be a, uh, a live show at Xfinity Live. It's going to be a hockey roundtable. Anthony is going to be, uh, one of the people on the panel. I might be there. I don't know. I might be on it. Might not be. I don't know. Um, but if anybody wants to come out, if you come out to the uh, to the game on the second, uh, make sure you come out to Xfinity Live after. So, so show some support. There are. Uh, I have an idea of who the guest or guests are going to be, um, and they would very much be worth coming out to see. So uh, if you're looking for something to do on the uh, afternoon, the second, make sure that you uh, come down to the Flyers game, go to Xfinity Live, and, and show support. Oh, my God, Anthony Sanfilippo right, is well, here leave you. about leave to you sit down as we wrap up an episode of Crossing Broadcast. What's up, man? So, uh, so uh, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Press Row uh, Show shows tonight. And, oh, that's press right, Row Press Row Show. Well, by the time people uh, hear this episode, it'll probably already right. be passed. Although, if I edit it quickly enough, it'll get up right before the game. Russ, so, you uh, are the press man. Row show. We've got a bye week coming up, so cool. who knows? All right, man. Peace. All right, anyway. Peace. Thanks, man.